Have you ever woken up and wondered to yourself, and I'll spare you the vernacular, what the heck just happened? Have you ever just, just suddenly like, almost like come to your senses and realize I, this is not where I plan to be. This is not what I thought was going to happen. When I woke up this morning, I didn't think I would be in this place. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And it's shock and awe, baby, right? And I remember being in that place, and, and I've shared this story, so I'm not going to go into the details of it, but I was married for 10 years, and my wife of 10 years did not want to be married to a pastor, to a minister. And it never fit her, it never suited her, and long story short, she left with one of my best friends. So I was left high and dry, seminary student, and just wondering, what the heck? And I didn't use heck, I'm just saying. Just happened. And I remember thinking, oh great, I just got the scarlet letter on my forehead as a minister, as a pastor, and, and I'm done. And I found myself not praising the Lord. I found myself not praising Jesus and singing worship songs or listening to K-Love or anything. It was like I was so blindsided. And I did what most of us do when we just get completely the wind knocked out of our sails. We go back home. We go back. And I went from the Comanche, Texas, Dallas-Fort Worth area where I was in school. I went back to Lubbock to my home town and I, I, of Lubbock, and I, and I moved in with my granny. The only person who can legally and get away with it call me Jimmy Dale. Mm -mm, don't do it. Don't go there. I knew that was going to happen. I knew somebody would step out. And so I moved in with Granny in her efficiency apartment. She was retired and older and in this little tiny room. And I moved in. I was grateful to have a place. And I just moved in and just, I thought, I need to be close to my family. I need to heal. And so we, they did what they knew to do. Now, you have to understand, my family was not Christian. Now, now they, they had a, a sort of a weird respect for God and a weird belief in God, but they didn't pursue after. They were not, what I'd say, Christ followers, at least not at that point. And so I was sort of like the, the, the mafia priest, the family priest of the mafia. So when I would show up, you know, they would always, we'd get together for a meal. So they did what they knew to do because West Texans know how to eat. So they did a big barbecue. The whole family was there. They all knew I was devastated. I was wounded. I was trying to put on a good face for everybody, trying to be strong. And we sat down to eat, and we're at an outside in the backyard of my uncle's place, and we got kids running around, and family everywhere, and it comes to that awkward moment where my granny always asks Jimmy Dale to pray for the food. Always, because I'm the one designated prayer. You know what I'm saying? I'm the family priest. So I dreaded it, because here's the thing. Something in me was blocking me. I wasn't worshiping God. I was hurt. I was disappointed. I was saying, what the heck just happened? My whole world had just come undone. Everything I'd spent the last seven plus years working toward just came undone. Wheels fell off. I'm sure nobody here can relate to any of that. <laughs> then comes the moment. Granny turns to me and says, Jimmy Dale? Yeah, they say it real fast in Texas. My brother's Jerry Don. Jerry Don, Jimmy Dale. Jimmy Dale, 
would you say the blessing? It's always awkward, too. It's just that awkward moment. I'd always dread it. Would you say the blessing for the food? Like, yes. But here's what happened. This time, something different came out. As I sat there, and I was sat there in awkward silence for a moment because I realized I couldn't pray. My whole family's gathered around me. And they're expecting Jimmy the strong one, the Christian, the pastor, to just peel off another well-worded prayer. And I sat there for a minute, and I said, no, I won't, out loud. And this, this came out, has something ever come out of your mouth before you could grab hold of it? And it's almost like you're watching somebody else say it, and then it dawns on you, you're the one saying it? Am I the only human that's ever happened to I mean, literally, it was like the force, it came out of me. It didn't come out of my head, it came out of my core. And I said, no, I won't. I'm mad at God right now. Ooh. The, bar the barometric pressure of Lubbock, Texas, and the hub city and the surrounding area of the panhandle changed because I think my family sucked all the oxygen out of the atmosphere. And they were in stunned silence. And with hardly a hesitation, I dug into my food. But in my mind, I'm thinking, my whole family thinks that lightning is about to strike right now, or there's an earthquake that's going to open up and swallow me. And they just sat there for a moment, didn't know what to say. And as wild as that was, you know, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth, help me somebody, the mouth speaks. And out of my heart, out of my core, what came out was anger at God. I was hurt. I was disappointed. I was disillusioned. I was angry. And that's a nice way of saying it. I just went on like nothing happened, but I got, I got back to her house, the, her little apartment that night, and I laid in bed for a long time just saying, Lord, it's true, I'm mad at you. Never thought I could admit something like that. Because what happens is, we don't mean to, but sometimes in church world, church life, and if you're here and you're not from church world, you're probably a little more fresh on that than some of us that have been around this a long time. But in church world, we get to where we have these unspoken rules. And one of them is that you never say anything bad about God, even if you really feel it. Even if you're really upset, you just don't. It's like, it's like you have a bowling lane and they put up those fake gutters so you can't throw a gutter ball. We do that in church. We put up these boundaries where you, we're not going to allow you to go outside this boundary because how dare you say something about God. But here's the thing, and in case you've missed it in the Bible, if you are mad at God, you may be in really good company. And so the bottom line is we don't want to stay in that place. But what do we do? And so the title of the message today is pretty ambitious. It was really quiet in the first service. It's not because we had a gentle rain falling on the building. It's called Forgiving God. I want to go here because this is where a lot of you are living right now, and some of you don't even realize you're mad at God because you won't let yourself go there because you're afraid, what if I admit that I'm mad at God and then my house falls in on top of me? 
or the wheel fall off, falls off on my car when I'm driving down the 10 because, because I'm mad at God and he's going to get me back because some of us actually have a view of God that way. That he's just waiting for you to mess up. He's waiting for you to, to, to just have a misstep so he can come down on you with a hammer. Let me tell you something, that is not my God. And my God's shoulders are so big. This is how big God is. Not only did God create Australia. Come on, somebody. He created Texas. Come on. Come on. I'm preaching now. Preaching good now. My God's big enough to handle my complaint. And he's big enough to handle yours. And let me tell you, he loves you so much that he won't even stop you. He'll let you go. It's almost like bleed it off. Have you ever been in a, in a situation with somebody and they were leaking, they were, they were toxic, and in your mind you're like, gosh, I really don't want to hear this negativity, but you know what? Maybe they need to get this out. So you just go with it and go, you know what? Get it out. Just get it out. We do that with our kids, don't we? Cry it out. Cry it out. Get it over with. Say it. Say everything you need to say. I mean, get it out. God loves you so much, he'll let you get it out. So we're going to talk about forgiving God. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to flip the script. Some of you thought, okay, he's preached twice on forgiveness. Surely we're going to move along. Well, we're moving along, but not on forgiveness, uh, not on overflow per se. We're moving along to this place where, as I finished last week, it was extremely clear to me that we needed to deal with this because some of you are stuck on high center and you feel like something is blocking you. So far, we looked at what it means to forgive and release those who've hurt or offended you, us. How to forgive others. We did that three weeks ago. Last week, we looked at what, two weeks ago, last week we looked at what to do if you're the one who has hurt or offended someone, how to ask forgiveness. I would encourage you to go back on Facebook, on our Facebook page, Oak Hills Fredericksburg, Oak Hills Church Fredericksburg, or mine, Jimmy Pruitt, and you can find those. We, we record those, and you can, I encourage you to do it if you weren't here, or if you were here, you probably didn't get it the first time, if you're anything like me. So it'd do you well to go back. Now, today we're going to go, we're going to take a look at what to do if you are hurt, angry, or offended at God? How do you forgive God? So the word offense, let me just clear this out real quick. The word offend or offense means that it's like something that is a stumbling, a block in front of you that you can't get past. In other words, you have to get over it. I mean, literally, you have to get over it. Think in terms of this, like offense, a fence, like an actual fence. My granddad, we were, he lived down in Whitney, Texas. We were down there at the lake, and they had a place down there. And he strung up a temporary barrier with one very thin piece of wire, and he ran voltage through it. And so it was to keep the horses in, and he wanted to get them to graze in an area they hadn't grazed. So he sets up this temporary boundary. My cousin Shelly forgot about the temporary boundary. She's running full bore across the field. And as I'm watching her run, I don't remember why we were doing it. We were kids. As I'm watching her run, it dawns on me there's a fence out there that wasn't there before. And it's about this high to, to a kid. And I watch her, and about the time I start to scream out like a girly man just to stop because I realized what was going on, she hit that fence at full speed never saw it coming. 
And that thing caught her in the neck and the throat. And it, I don't know how many flips she did, but it looked like a linebacker just taking her out. I mean, she, her feet went up in the air. It made this horrible guttural sound, and it, it cut her throat. Now, not deep. It didn't no stitches or anything, but it left a mark on her throat because it was electric, too. So she got a bonus round. She got electric and got knocked out. And sometimes... This is what offense does. It creates a boundary that you have to get beyond. You'll hear people say, get over it. And that sounds harsh and mean. And in some, in some cases, it's horribly said. But in a sense, technically, there's truth to that. You do have to get over an offense. Because if you don't get over it, you'll never get beyond it. And God has called you to walk beyond it so you can enjoy this thing called life. But if you are constantly stuck at the place of offense and you can't get over it, then you'll never move forward. You'll never advance beyond where you are. And this is where a lot of followers of Jesus live. They're offended at God. How about we start today by just someone here admitting in their heart, you know what, I am mad at God, but I've never thought I could say it. We had a precious brother after the first service come up to me, and he came up through the Catholic tradition, and he said, you know, he said, we would have never gone where you went today. And he said, thank you for saying it. So I'm going to say it because here's what I know. My Abba Father is a good, good father. The one we sang about, and I don't think he's worried at all of us talking about something as raw and honest as being angry at him. Amen? So let's go there together. We're going to flip the script. Are you stuck? Have you felt stuck? Like you can't move forward? Well, you need to walk in forgiveness, maybe even with God. And it means this, to forsake, to lay aside, to disregard. Now I love this, to let go. To let be or to release or to put away. So I like that, to let go. There are times where you have to let go and you have to release. You have to put it away. It's an identity issue. Loved people love people. Free people, free people. But here's the thing. When you know you're forgiven, you can forgive others, even God. And I want to start right there. You're forgiven. Period. Jesus on the cross cried out to Telestai. It is finished, paid in full, checks in the mail, so to speak. It is finished. He did it. He defeated death, hell, and the grave, took the keys away from the enemy of the kingdom, and he has been slowly hanging them back to us one at a time and through the decades and centuries. I'm telling you, you are forgiven. Now, here's the thing. If you don't know that, then you'll have a hard time walking it out. Because what we believe to be a lie, or what we believe as truth, that which is a lie, actually manifests in our life as truth. And so you are forgiven. You're already free. This may be news to you today. I hope it's good news. That's called the gospel. So let's go through this. I want to show you some things. First of all, am I angry at God? And if so, you might be in good company. Looking at a couple of our favorite characters from the Old Testament. How about King David? A man after God's own heart who wrote half the Psalms, and most of his Psalms start off with a complaint. 
Most of, most of the Psalms start off with, how could you let that one prosper in the way and not me? How could you let them succeed and not me? Lord, I have enemies are all around me. I'm surrounded. I'm surrounded. And he's a but God kind of guy. And every time he would write a Psalm, which was a song actually, it would start off with this complaint. And yet in the middle, he would but God. He would turn the corner and he would begin to extol with courageous gratitude how good God is, even in the midst of his pain and his sorrow. So David was one who was honest about admitting injustice, anger, misunderstanding, disillusionment. How about Job? Remember Job? Job's the guy who the enemy went before God and said, there's none righteous on the planet. And God says, oh, I got one, my boy Job, my guy Job. He's righteous. In fact, the scripture says it this way. It says, in whom there could be found no wrong. And the enemy said, well, let me show you. I can, I can, I can make him find. I can, I can push him. God said, go ahead. Give it your best shot. So he did. First thing he did, he's collapsed his house on his kids. He killed his family. Except for the wife who the enemy used later. So his children are gone. He then gets these boils and sores on his body, and we find him in the scripture down in the dirt in a junk heap, taking shards of pottery and scraping the boils off of his skin, trying to get relief. And his wife, who didn't get killed when the house collapsed, she, being the encourager she is, she comes to Job and says, you know what? You might as well just curse God and die. Thank you, honey. Thank you for your supportive. <laughs> curse God and die. But his friends aren't that much better. His three friends come along and they go, hmm, you know what? Job, you must have really messed up. You must have made God really mad at you. Don't you have, anybody have friends like that? Hey, with friends like that, you know the rest of it? Yeah, exactly. You don't need enemies. Well, there must be something. You must have done something to make God upset. No, actually not. So you got David and Job in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, we see Peter. Remember Peter? Peter's go big or go home. Peter's all in. He's going all in. Nobody's put all his chips are going to the middle of the table. That's Peter. We call him, he had a thing called hoof and mouth disease. Anybody know what that is? Some of us suffer from that occasionally. Amen. He was a close disciple of Jesus, but he was often frustrated, confused, and stuck, offended. He found him his place. He found himself in the place of being offended. So let's look at a couple of passages here. Peter denies Jesus not once, not twice, help me somebody, but three times, right? So as if <laughs> he strike out. So right here, verse 15, Simon Peter and another disciple were following Jesus. Now at this point, Jesus had been taken from the garden and he was being taken into a mock trial. And so the disciples were following kind of at a distance. Remember, they sort of scattered there in the garden when they took Jesus. Peter got bold, cut a guy's ear off. So Jesus thought, oh, great, I got to clean up Peter's mess real quick. So he sticks the guy's ear back on his head, right? Does a miracle right there, a recreative miracle. But Peter and the guys run. They don't know what to do because they take Jesus, they incarcerate him, and they set up a mock trial. So when they're getting ready for that, Simon Peter and another disciple were following Jesus because his disciple was known to the high priest. He went in with Jesus into the high priest's courtyard, but Peter had to wait outside the door. So you get the picture? He can't go inside. He's waiting outside. 
The other disciple, who was known to the high priest, came back, spoke to the girl on duty there, and brought Peter in. Now, here's what happens. So the girl is escorting them back in because they said, all right, we'll let Peter in. And look what happens. Verse 17, she says to him, you're not one of his disciples, are you? The girl at the door asked Peter. And Peter, being so bold, so strong, all in, right? Go big or go home, says, I am not. <laughs> nice. I am not. It was cold, and the servants and officials stood around a fire they had made to keep warm. Peter was also standing with them. So he's already denied Jesus once. Verse 25, on down. As Simon Peter stood warming himself, he was asked, You're not one of his disciples, are you? And for a second time, he denied it, saying, I am not. This is the Peter who said, I will never deny you. That I will go wherever you go. I will follow you anywhere. He meant well when he said it. But when the wheels came off, he was suffering from disappointment and disillusionment, asking himself, what the heck just happened? Verse 26, one of the high priest's servants, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, uh-oh, challenged him. Didn't I see you? With, I mean, I, th I might remember you if you were wielding a sword and, and throwing down. Didn't I see you with him at the Olive Grove? Again, Peter denied it. And at that moment, a rooster began to crow. Jesus said, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. Can you imagine how Peter felt when he heard that rooster crowing like, oh, there it is. This is that. After he denies him three times, here's what offense does. Offense causes separation and a return to old patterns. A separation and a return to old patterns. You could say this, what offense causes is a breach of fellowship. It may not breach the relationship because it may be something you're still friends, you still claim, you're still family, you're still whatever, but there is now a breach in fellowship. The difference between relationship and fellowship is that relationship is a thing that will never change. You're committed, you're family, you're blood, you're going to be together, you're friends, you've known them since grade school, you're going to stay together no matter what, but right now there's a breach in fellowship. In other words, you don't enjoy their presence like you used to. You're offended. It's something that you've not gotten over yet, and so you're stuck. Not only does it happen with people, but it happens with God, because when we get offended at God, we get angry, we get stuck, and we need to get over it, but we can't. Part of the reason we can't is that we can't admit it, which is exactly the place I found myself when I blurted out of my gut no, I'm not going to pray. I'm mad at God right now. But let me tell you something, just to re review real quick. Me admitting it was the one thing that needed to happen for me to get back on my journey of healing. Because it was that day that my journey shifted and my trajectory changed. And the clouds and the fog and the storm began to lift once I admitted I was mad. You know, I deserve to be thumped off the planet, right? It's what we think. It's how we think. But instead, I got the grace of God, and it was almost as though God was going, finally, finally you admit it. Finally you said it. Now we can work with that. And there's some of you sitting here today, if you don't get anything out of today, get this. Some of you need to finally admit it so that God can go, finally, now we can work with that. Let's get you down the road. Let's get you over the fence, 
over the offense. Offense causes separation and a return to old patterns. Afterward, Jesus appeared to his disciples. This is John 21.1. By the Sea of Tiberias, it happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called Didymus, Nathaniel from Canaan and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. And listen to this. Peter says this, I'm going out to fish. <laughs> he hadn't fished in three years. Here he is all of a sudden saying, you know what? The wheels have just fallen off this thing. I'm done. I'm going back to what I know. Here's what offense does. When we're offended, we tend to go back to what we know, even if it wasn't good for us. We'll gravitate back to things that are familiar because at least that's familiar, and at least I feel some semblance of control. And so we'll gravitate. We'll go backwards. Offense is like this. It's like trying to pedal a bicycle up the hill, stop pedaling, and assuming you're either going to coast or you're going to at least stay there. But if you've ever ridden up a steep hill, and I have, when you stop pedaling, you don't just stop. You begin to go backwards. The old, the old churches call it backsliding. You're backsliding. You're a backslider. Well, there's some truth to that in a sense. If we're offended and we cannot get over this offense, we do not just stop. We actually begin to go backwards. That's where we find ourselves. Peter found himself saying, you know what? I, I can't just sit here. I can't just be stopped. I'm going backwards. And he goes back to the thing that he's familiar with. I'm going out to fish. Simon Peter told him, and they said, well, we'll go with you. I mean, what they have to lose, right? So Peter, go big or go home, leading the pack. So they all go out. They went out and they got into a boat. But that night they caught nothing. Does that sound familiar? We're having a deja vu moment, by the way, here, and there'll be several right here. Watch this. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. How far do you have to go back to not even recognize the presence of God? How far do we have to go back to where when he shows back up, we don't even recognize, we don't even know his presence any longer? Jesus is standing on the shore like Lieutenant Dan sitting in a wheelchair on the dock. Jesus is on the shore waiting. Forrest is out on the ship with the Bubba Gump shrimp. He's out there in the shrimp boat. And look what happens here. Check this out. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was. At least Forrest recognized Lieutenant Dan. John 21, 5. He called out to them, Friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, Throw your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. They should have started going, Wait a minute. We've heard this before. Jesus is recreating a scene where they saw the miraculous take place. He's saying, It's me. He loved them so much that he orchestrated a scenario which would take them back so that they could remember who they are. Some of you have forgotten. You're like Woody in Toy Story 2. You don't know who you are. That was Stinky Pete in line, by the way. You can always tell when you have children a certain age because we have period references from that time. I know a lot of that. And... Some of you don't know who you are. Jesus loves you so much, he'll recreate moments. You go, wait a minute, this sounds familiar. This feels familiar. Wait, I've been here before. Now, it may be in a different place, a different time for sure, but he will hearken back because he wants to recall and remind you who you are, what you know. Maybe you forgot. You may have forgotten, but you don't unknow what you know, but you might have forgotten. 
And he does this for them. He sets up a scenario. Throw your net on the right side of the boat, you'll find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of a large number of fish. Remember, this happened before. Look what happens. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved, that's John. You got to love John. Hey, I'm the one he loves the most. It's me. He says this, said to Peter, it is the Lord. So John says, I saw him. As soon as Simon Peter heard it, heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him. Here's another point. Sometimes we need a little help in this deal. Sometimes we need somebody to come alongside of us and say, you know what? Man, you, you've got some real offense. You've got some real stuff going on. It's holding you back. Do you have anybody in your life that loves you that much? To be that honest with you? And to just say it? Sometimes we need a little help from our friends, and John helps Peter out. He recognizes him. He wrapped his outer garment around it, and again, this is a Forrest Gump moment if I've ever seen one. For he had taken it off, and he jumped into the water. Was there another time when Jesus jumped into the water to go to Jesus? You see what Jesus is creating here? Recognition, recognition, recognition. Deja vu, deja vu, deja vu. He does it again. And now he's doing the same thing he did before. The Bible doesn't say that he walked on water this time. So I don't know. The other disciple followed in the boat. Smart. They're like, hey, go get him, Peter. We'll, we'll just bring the boat in. Towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about 100 yards. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Sit down here. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. We have again loaves and fishes. Jesus breaking bread with his brothers. Remember, he says, as long as you're to get, we're together and you remember this, do this to remember me. But it also harkens back to when he fed the 5,000 with a couple, just a couple of fish and, or some fish and a little fish and chips dinner. Jesus is replaying scenarios so they'll remember who they are. They knew it was the Lord. Verse 17, listen to this. Jesus takes the initiative and models restoration and reconciliation. Jesus takes the initiative to model restored fellowship. Some of you, your, your, your relationship is intact. You're going to heaven. You're in. Praise the Lord. You got baptized. You gave your heart to Jesus. You studied the word at a point in your life. But you're not enjoying fellowship right now. Your relationship's secure, but some of you need a restored relationship. It's, it's time to quit looking across the room at other people who are worshiping and smiling at church and you feel like you can't. It's time to stop looking across the room and seeing people who are praying and who are passionate and you're not because your fellowship is broken. And it may start with you just saying, you know what, I'm disappointed. I feel passed over. I feel left behind. I feel like I... God, you didn't answer that prayer. You, you didn't come through or, or that person I was praying for didn't make it. Or how could that happen for whatever reason? So he does this with, with, with Peter. Now, he's coming back to where Peter broke fellowship by denying him three times. So three times, Jesus comes back to restore him. How many times did, did Peter deny Jesus? Three times. How many times did Jesus repeat restoration? Three times. So on the third time, he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt. 
Here we go again. Because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus, for that third time, says, feed my sheep. He restores fellowship. He also restores identity. And he restores purpose. Here in one fell swoop. So a couple of things. First of all, we need to realize God's heart for each one of us is reconciliation. It's to be reconciled. To reconcile means to make right. In other words, if you're reconciling your bait statement, you want to do a good job of that so that it's right. Correct? And when it is, you feel good about it, especially Annette when she does it. She's the guru in our house. And it's like she does a little victory dance when, when, it, when it all works right because there's something about reconciliation that's just innate. We like to see things come together. So when you reconcile with another person, ah, it is all, it is well with my soul. But when you, recon, when you reconcile with God, oh, it is well with my eternity. Ah, this is what I was created to do and be, to be reconciled to him. Look at his heart. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Oh, I love new creation realities. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. You don't have to go back to fishing anymore. You don't have to go back to doing what you did before. Peter tried to go back and recreate something, some semblance of a life. He went back to fishing. But the old has passed away. There's nothing to go back to, brothers and sisters. There's nothing back there for you. Behold, the new has come. 2 Corinthians 18, or 5.18. All this is from God. Now look what he says about reconciliation. Who through Christ reconciled us to himself, gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. So through Jesus, we are now reconciled. We're made right with God. Not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. We've been given the ministry and the message of reconciliation. So we not only partake, but we also speak the life that's in it. We speak the message of be reconciled with God. Be reconciled with one another. Love God. Love people. So here's, here's the deal. Let's just bring it down to where we live, all right? Simple points but this is where it gets real for all of us. I'm going to challenge you, and I do it in love, with the utmost love. If you're offended at God, so if that's you, and you recognize, and something about this today resonates with you, here's what you do first. Admit. Just admit it. You don't have to do it at the dinner table with your family. That's really awkward, I'm just saying. It created a really awkward moment for my family. Because God loved me so much, he just coughed it out of me. He's like, I'm going to get this up one way or the other. Say it out loud. He's big enough to handle your offense, disappointment, or anger. He loves you so much, you're not going to freak him out. Trust me, he's heard it before. Just read the Bible. Here's another thing you do. Secondly, recognize that you are finite and limited. But he is infinite and eternal. He might have more perspective and a better vantage point than you. See, we get upset because we don't see the big picture. We don't know all the puzzle pieces. We only get bits and pieces. The Bible says we see through a glass dimly. That means you can't see everything. But he, he's 30,000 feet in the helicopter. We're in a go-kart down. We're like Mario Kart running around. We don't see what's coming. He sees everything, and he's orchestrating events on our behalf. But that doesn't mean he's orchestrating them always for our comfort or our convenience. 
because God cares much more about our character than he does our comfort or convenience. Someone can say, ouch, because that's going to leave a mark. But it's true. Things happen in our lives. We don't understand why. I have a mystery box. You should probably have one too. And in that box, by the way, it's gotten larger the older I get. In that box goes things I don't understand. And that's why I now say, wow, instead of how. If I just constantly wear, I'll wear myself out saying how, how, how. But when you move into the place of saying, wow, wow, wow. And then you say, all right, this scenario goes into the mystery box. You put it in the box and you say, all right, for another time, maybe someday I'll get that. But right now, I don't. Why? Because I'm finite and limited. He is infinite and eternal in nature. So recognize that. Perspective. Here it is, forgive. And this is, this is where you say it out loud. In humility and prayer, speak forgiveness from the posture of understanding that he does not need to be forgiven, but you need to forgive and release your offense. Now here's the thing. God doesn't need to be forgiven, but I believe he wants to. Remember, he's the one who started this whole ball of wax rolling, right? He's the one who gives us the ministry and the message of reconciliation. Reconciliation and restored relationship and fellowship are at the very core of who God is. Let us make man in our own image. Us, our. He already had a value for relationship and fellowship, but he wanted more, so he, allowed, he created us and says, I want to have fellowship with you. We breached that through sin, but he says, I want to restore, I want to restore. Then after we're restored, we breach it again. And he says, I love you so much, I want to restore fellowship with you. That is his heart. God doesn't need to be forgiven, but we need to forgive. We need to let go. God doesn't need to be forgiven, but I think he wants to be. Because that is what restores unity. And where unity is, is where he commands the blessing according to Psalm 133. Can I get an amen? Here's another one. Forgive and release you. I've said this every message the last three weeks. We've got to forgive and release ourselves. And sometimes you just need to say, self, I forgive you. Look in a mirror. I forgive you. And I'm letting it go. I'm moving on because I'm offended. Oh, can you offend yourself? Absolutely. You're the person running around going, I'm so stupid. I'm too stupid to live. I can't believe I did that. I'm such an idiot. What are you doing? You're offended at yourself. And you're causing, you're calling yourself horrible names. You're speaking death over yourself. And we'll have whatever we say. Trust me. We're two on earth agree and the enemy will come right alongside and go, yeah, you really are an idiot. Yeah, you really are too stupid to live. Yeah, you really missed that. Yeah, you really caused a lot of hurt there. And the enemy agrees. That's two on earth agreeing is touching anything. And we have to go back and go, whoa, 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 wait a minute. That's not who I am. It's maybe what I did, but it is not who I am. Here it is. Thank. This is courageous gratitude. Exercise courageous gratitude and thank God for the grace to release and enjoy reconciliation, restoration, and fellowship. And that leads us to our last point. Enjoy the freedom. Man, when I see a Christian who's living under it, under their circumstances, and not over them, it tells me that there's an offense they've not been able to get over. 
It may be with God, it may be with somebody else, it may be with ourselves, but we've got to get over it. We've got to get beyond it. And so he's called us, Jesus in John 10, 10 said this, the thief doesn't come except to steal, kill, and destroy. And then he turns right around and says, but here's the good news. He flips the coin, flips the script. He says, I came that you might have, help me somebody, life. That word is zoe in the Greek. It means the God kind and God quality of life. It's ultimate joy, ultimate fulfillment, ultimate purpose, ultimate life, ultimate living. He says, I have called you. I've given you life and life more abundant. That means literally to the full and overflowing. That means to the max. That's the call of the follower of Jesus to actually enjoy this thing, enjoy the freedom, restoration, and peace that God gives in the context of reconciliation. Here, here's what happens. You can pray. You can worship. You can read the Word. You can express gratitude. You can extend grace when you're free. Free people, free people, forgiven people, forgive people, even God. So there's no excuse. You don't even have to live another minute with this. So as we close, I want to invite you to pray, and I want to invite you to do something. We did this in the first service, and I'm telling you, it was quiet, other than that beautiful rain we heard on the ceiling. But I invited everyone, not out loud, we don't want to freak our neighbors out, but in their heart, only if they are disappointed, feeling passed over, feeling like God let them down, didn't, didn't fulfill. And if they're angry, they need to admit it to God in their heart. That is the beginning, really, of the rest of your eternity, not just your life. Why live another moment mad at God and laboring under the weight of that kind of shame and guilt? When you can be reconciled to God, you can be restored in God, and you can enjoy fellowship with Him let me tell you, it'll change your worship life. It'll change your Bible reading. It'll change the way you handle people. It will change everything. Amen? So I want to invite you to stand to your feet with me. Let's pray together. I want to lead you through just a little prayer. And uh, well, it's not a little prayer. It's a heavy prayer. Just call it what it is. There are people here who need to deal with this today. Let's start beginning the journey of healing so we can move forward and become the force that God wants us to be on this earth for his glory. Can you bow your heads, close your eyes? Father, I come before you as a son with these amazing friends of mine, these brothers and sisters, these family. And Lord, there are some in this room right now that are laboring and struggling under offense. And frankly, Father, they're offended with you. I don't say that with fear or shame because you're huge, you're massive, and you can take it because you love us. So, Lord, you know each one. You know, you even say that the, number, the hairs in our head are even numbered, and uh, you, you know us that intimately. So, Father, I present to you my friends right now. I escort them, kind of like John with Peter, is the Lord. So I'm just recognizing you as Lord. So if you're here this morning and you hear my voice, I want to invite you to do what we just said. I want you to, in your heart, if that's you, just take a moment. It doesn't have to be epic. You don't have to be dramatic. Just honest. And if you're upset, you're disappointed, you're angry, 
would you just take a moment and admit it to him right now, right where you are? Just bow your head, just everyone, let's be still for a moment. You can do that right now. Father, my friends who are being honest with you right now, I thank you that you love them so much that you brought them to this point right here, right now, on a rainy, stormy day when it would have been easier to stay home. You got them here. And I'm thankful for that. And Father, I'm asking a favor. Would you restore fellowship with every person who was honest enough to admit their disappointment or their anger? Would you throw off, help them cast off this weight that they've been carrying around that's unnecessary? Right now, just restore. Restore. Heal. Would you heal hearts today? Even those that are listening online, as they listen to this, Lord, would you heal them as we step into these principles? Thank you for the life that's found in the word. Thank you for the examples that you give us. You teach us how to live. And Father, I pray, I pray that we'll be able to walk out of these doors and enjoy the salvation, enjoy our faith, enjoy our walk with Jesus and not labor another day but do everything we do from the posture of grace and the posture of rest and the posture of freedom and peace and restoration. Thank you, Father, for both the ministry and the message of reconciliation. For those of you who prayed that prayer or just uttered that out of your heart just before him, would you just for a moment just, just take some courageous gratitude yeah, I believe gratitude is courageous in the face of pain. So I, I'm just saying courageous gratitude. Just thank him. Thank him for loving you. Thank him for getting you here today to hear this message. Thank, you, thank him for having Pastor Jimmy go two weeks off the script. Because he wanted you to hear this today. That's how much he loves you. So Father, I'm thankful your healing hearts today. We love you in Jesus' name. Everyone said, amen, amen. God bless you. Seriously, enjoy your week. We love you.